outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Oh, 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 O'Reilly! Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 17. Today we're talking about one of the most important aspects of hunting whitetails, and that's scouting. Specifically, we're talking about summer scouting. This conversation is jam-packed with helpful tips and great stories, so stick around and enjoy. Hello fellow whitetail addicts and welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. With me this afternoon is my trusty beverage sipping buddy and co-host Dan Johnson. And joining us today is, well no one actually, for once here in a long while we do not have a guest. So Dan, it's just you and me. What are you up to? Just two dudes broing out. That's all we're going to do today. Just broing out. We're not talking deer, we're just talking tank tops, cold (laughs) beer and the Backstreet Boys, right? Hair, hair gel, <laughs> deep V-neck t-shirts. Yep, yep, that's us. Yep. No, we're actually going to talk deer, but yeah, but that's how, fact. How have you been? I'm I'm been pretty good. Uh, like uh, most parent or like most guys with kids my daughter's age, I feel like all I do is chase after a, a little kid. So I spend a lot of time, you know, trying to think of ways to keep her occupied, corralled, um, asleep, you know, um, I know roofing your own children is a a bad thing, but I honestly have thought about it. She doesn't stop. She does not. She, she wakes up and then it's beep, beep, boom. Oh man. I, uh, (laughs) I can't really relate since I don't have any children of my own, but I've seen enough to, to know it would stress me out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But but there's def- definitely some great things about kids. So how have you been? I'm good. Let me cut you off right there. You better be good because our very own Mark Kenyon just recently won an award oh, at man. what the Quality Deer Management Association gathering down in down south. Yes, that's true. Down in Athens, Georgia. Why don't you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, I I was really. Um, very surprised and humbled and honored to have been given the uh, 2014 QDMA Communicator of the Year Award. Um, so, so yeah, it was very, very surprising, very exciting. I was down there in Georgia for the national convention, and yeah, one of their big gatherings. They kind of surprised me. We're talking about a whole bunch of different people that were great communicators and journalists and whatnot in the field and what they've done to. Um, you know, spread the good word about whitetails and quality deer management and whatnot. And uh, somehow they uh, they figured I was the one for the 2014. So it's pretty that's, neat. That's that is pretty cool. And and on a serious note, I know like I know we like to joke around and stuff, but what you're doing for the sport of hunting and whitetails in general is very good. It's a very good thing. And spreading the word through you know your social media, the blog, and all that stuff only helps you know, the, the game, as I like to say as a whole. And, uh, so I'm very proud of you, Mark. Uh, Thank you so much. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) I really do. And it's been, it's been great. All the, 
readers and our audience members and fans and everything have been so supportive. I just appreciate all the kind words. And, and, you know, like I mentioned in a blog post earlier this week, I wouldn't have been given that award if it weren't for everyone else out there that's been following Wired to Hunt, that's been following my, my writing, my articles, this podcast, our videos, everything I've done. It wouldn't be worth a hoot if it wasn't for everybody out there that that followed along, that's given me feedback and support and ideas, told me when I sound like an idiot. Um, it's all helped. So, I uh, I just want to thank everyone else. It's been it's been an awesome ride, and this is another neat um, neat honor. And I can't wait to see where you know things might go from here. Sky's the limit. True story. True story. Cool, cool. So so yeah. Other than that, though, I've been super busy. I was, like I said, down there in Georgia for the convention. And then before that, I was back home in Western Michigan for a few days, had a buddy's bachelor party. If anybody watches the uh, Wired Hunt uh, episodes, you might be familiar with my buddy, Josh Hilliard. Um, He killed a nice buck down there in Ohio with me. Well, he's getting married this weekend. So uh, if you're Facebook friends with him or on Twitter, following him, make sure to give him a hard time because he's uh, getting the old ball and chain in a couple of days. <laughs> but, I remember uh, the last bachelor party I was on and uh, not good, not good. <laughs> and that's where I'll leave it right there. Yeah, it's probably a good place to stop. <laughs> we uh, we had a good time. And then uh, before that, I was actually in California for a week and a half doing some some backpacking across the Sierra Nevada mountains. So. It's been, it's been a busy, busy summer, but now I'm I'm back. I've got no travel plans really, except for a few scouting trips down to Ohio, and uh, nothing till September. So from here on out, focusing on hunting, and excited about it. So I think that's kind of what we're gonna talk about right now today too. Is you know with the season rapidly approaching, right? It's the end of July right now. Um, if you're listening right now, and there's a lot of work to be done. I know I always say, and we've even talked about it on the, you know, on the show in the past that there's always so much to do. And I always tell myself, I'm going to get it all done early. I'm going to be ready in the spring. I'm not going to be stressed out once we get to late summer, but here we are almost August. And I still feel like I've got a ton to do. Uh, yeah. It just happens without fail. But what we want to talk about today is part of that work and that being summer scouting and, you know, Summer scouting can come in a lot of different forms and you can be used for a lot of different things. So, you know, if it sounded good to you, I thought we could maybe break down what those different types of scouting could be, you know, what we're personally doing right now, and then some of the different ideas, tips, and lessons learned maybe that we've taken over the years that, you know, might be able to help folks out there as they go through some final scouting here in these last couple of months before the deer hunting season. What do you think? I think uh, that's a good idea. Awesome. So... What do you think about uh, kicking things off here with a real high-level question, and that being, you know, why should we be scouting in the summer? Um, I've got a few ideas on it, and I'm actually going to be doing some of it tonight um, that I'll, I'll talk a little bit about what I'll be doing here in a couple hours. But I'm curious, Dan, for you, you know, why do you do and, you know, what's your purpose for doing any type of scouting during these summertime months? Well, I think – the majority of the summer scouting that I do is basically for early season, uh, early season hunting, you know, trying to find those travel corridors between bedding and the, the food source, which, which is typically an egg field or, um, finding an Oak, an area where acorns are falling. Um, if it's real hot, like it was last year, finding that water source and, uh, you know, trying to find where they're coming and then checking the trail cameras to see, if they're coming in daylight hours and, you know, if they're coming at like two, three in the morning, you know, I'm not wasting my time except if, you know, I'm trying to get after a doe and uh, knock a couple of does out before, uh, before I, you know, we get into the, the, uh, chasing bucks. Yeah. Okay. That sounds like, uh, you're right in line with a lot of what I'm, what I'm thinking this time of year. Um, I guess for me, if I were to break it down into you know three larger categories, and, and some of the things you talked about fall into these categories, you know I'm trying to do number one, I want to confirm the quality of my hunting spots. So I'm trying to understand, you know, are there the type of deer that I want to hunt this fall in this general area? So I'm gonna do some stuff during the summer to confirm that. 
Number two, I'm going to be trying to establish uh, quote-unquote inventory of the bucks on the properties I can hunt. And we've talked about this to a degree in some of our past episodes, but we'll still touch on it a little bit here today too. Um, but I want to understand, you know, what specific deer are on the properties I'm hunting right now and, you know, are those deer I want to actually hunt. And if I can get that information now and, and you know, better understand, you know, how old do I think these deer are and, you know, get some identifiers about these unique deer, it's going to help me make decisions when I'm actually hunting come October, November, a lot faster. Um, in a perfect situation, I'd like to see a deer, you know, he's running, it's during the rut, he's cruising my way. If I know right away who that deer is, I don't need to think for a second about whether or not I want to shoot that deer or not. It's going to be a lot more difficult if it's a deer I've never seen before. And I need to make that shoot or don't shoot decision, you know, in the 10 seconds I have with him passing by. So if possible, if I can get that information now in the summer, I want to do that. And then number three, I'm doing, you know, the same thing you mentioned, and that's, you know, trying to understand the deer behavior, you know, to apply to some of those early season hunts. Um, so you can start, you know, just like you said, you can start to understand where some of these deer are traveling, what food sources are hitting, uh, etc. And, you know, some of that will carry on over into the hunting season. So, yeah, I think for all those reasons, there's a lot we can be doing this time of year to, to help us figure that stuff out. Uh, but it comes in a lot of different forms. So for me, I'm kind of going through, you know, three different types. I'd say give or take three different types of scouting right now this time of year. Um, and maybe I'll, I'll throw those out real high level here, and then maybe we can hear about what you're doing, and then we can dive into each of these deeper, if that sounds good. Yep, go for it. So high level, my three types of scouting come in the form of trail cameras, which you mentioned. And there's a bunch of different things we can talk on the trail camera front. Number two comes in the form of glassing. So I'm using binos or a spotting scope or a video camera to watch deer from a distance and get some information from that. And then number three, some actual in-the-field scouting, um, what some people call speed scouting or speed touring, doing some some later in the summer, actually boots on the ground, walking around quickly and quietly to get some, some intel, some most recent information about what's happening. So for me, that's kind of what my summer scouting regimen will look like um, is balanced between those three types of things. Um, what about you? Do you? Are you doing the same things? Are you doing totally different things? Do I sound crazy? Well, all right. So on some of my properties, um, I don't do a lot of uh, summer glassing because some of like, my properties are the – the fields are kind of uh, secluded. So I would have to, you know, walk all the way down there. And, and, you know, like I've mentioned in previous podcasts, I live over an hour from my hunting spots. So um, until recently, you know, I'm debating hunting some public land close to my house that I've seen uh, actually two nights in a row. Now I've seen a uh, 145, I think 150 inch, uh, 10 pointer, um, nothing too crazy big, but still look, he still looked mature. Sounds pretty nice to me. Yeah. So, um, that's a potential, uh, option right there. 15 does in the field. So there's not, I mean, uh, you know, I could kill a doe there too, but as far as high levels concerned, yeah, definitely trail cameras are for me a must. Um, the glassing, not so much, just because I can't get out there and really spend time. Every time I, I head to my uh, um, hunting spots in the summer, it's typically a work day where I'm changing trail camera cards, where I'm setting up a tree stand. So if I'm going in to set up a tree stand, I'm also going to go in to scout and, uh, you know, scout the area where these, uh, you know, through those pinch points, those travel corridors, those bedding areas. And, you know, I'm not too crazy, you know, about bumping a deer or walking through there because, you know, they're going to come back. If you're just bumping them one time in the summer, you know, they're going to come back. It, it's the pressure thing for me isn't a big deal. And then, um, I, dude, I, I look at aerial maps so much. I'm surprised I haven't been fired at work. People, <laughs> people walk by my desk and go, Dan, what are you doing? And I got, you know, Google maps or Bing maps out and I'm, you know, looking dude, at dude. Seriously, Bing Maps. I know you always say that, but yeah, seriously, yeah, Bing, dude. You're ex Google. <laughs> I know, but I, I harbor a little bit of uh, loyalty. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, you know, you you get a you get a looking at those maps and 
try to find um, and not just not just aerial maps, but um, uh, topographic maps that show uh, elevation, and that can kind of uh, show you some some better pinch points and and travel corridors there as well. But um, yeah, pretty much the same high high level things that you said as well. All right, cool. So we're on the same page, um, and. Jesus, a lot we could probably talk about on each of these, but yeah. let's maybe dive in. Let's review a little bit of what we're doing with trail cameras because I know we had an episode um, earlier this year where we specifically talked about what we're doing in the off season with trail cameras, and we talked a little bit about our summer strategies. But you know, for those that missed it, I think it's worthwhile for us just to touch on that a little bit. Um, yeah, for sure. So, you know, for me, as I mentioned, those three goals: I want to understand quality of deer. I want to identify the actual specific deer and then I want to get some behavioral information for when it comes to trail cameras. I'm really focusing on those first two points during the summer. Um, so my basic trail camera strategy this time of year is placing a couple cameras per property, depending how large it is on a food source. So if that property has a bean field, that's where I'm going to have that camera on the edge of a bean field an area that I can get to easily. I don't want to be walking through a bedding area. And even though, like you said, if you bump a deer, it's not going to really impact you too much during the hunting season, but it can affect your ability to get pictures of bigger, mature deer at this time of year. So I still am pretty careful about not trying to muck things up too much when I yep. set those summer cameras, just because I want the mature deer to be on camera as soon as possible and as, as often as possible. Yep. So I'm going to those edges. I'm going in there as scent free as I possibly can, you know, during the middle of the day, if I can, or if it's raining or it's about to rain, that's another great time to do it. Um, I also am still paying attention to wind direction, all these different things again, just to try to minimize that impact and, you know, getting in there quick and fast, putting the cameras up. If it's legal in the state I'm hunting, I like to put a mineral or some type of attractant. I'm using, you know, Typically a trophy rock and Big and Jay, uh, excuse me, Big and Jay's different um, attractants to get those deer there right in front of that trail camera to get me the most pictures as possible that are high quality that let me see that deer and identify the deer, age the deer, and determine whether or not I would would be interested in shooting it. Uh, so, you know, at a super high level, that's what I'm doing across all my different hunting properties. You know, June, July, and August is trying to figure out who these deer are using these different, uh, you know, basic trail camera practices. Are you doing anything different or is that kind of right in line with your, your thoughts too? Yeah, for the most part, um, I think I mentioned this on a, in some previous podcasts, but I don't, I don't typically hunt a lot of food edges or food source edges, um, egg fields. I don't have any food plots, so, um, I don't have control over the property like some, you know, some of our listeners and, and like yourself have, but, um, my trail cameras right now are strictly on mineral piles, and I have one, two, I have two uh, trail cameras that are actually on fil- field edges where I see a lot of traffic, um, basically a trail that runs along uh, where a cornfield meets a bean field uh, or where a two-track kind of crosses in, into a bean field, and uh, just to get some high, you know, some high-traveled areas to see if the deer are moving through those areas, but right now, there's one purpose for my trail cameras and that is over top of a mineral to put together a hit list. And, and then come September, the last time I check my trail cameras before I make my migration to hunting locations for my trail cameras, because I can't have my, you know, I can't have a stand anywhere near a mineral station because that's not legal in Iowa. So I move them to my pinch points, my fence crossings, my um, over top of egg fields. On I don't know. You've heard of a stick and pick before. If, I, if there's not a tree or whatnot, yep. And uh, place them uh, more of a, a, a you know, like uh, Bill Winky said on the last one, cast casting that broad net first, and then shrinking it as the season progresses or as you get closer to the season. Definitely, definitely. And something you said brought up another. Um, topic I want to touch on real quick too and that is like you said there's a migration when you're moving to a hunting um, setup but there's also um, a migration from the deer perspective as they move from that summer pattern to a early fall pattern Mm -hmm. and that made me think of an article I recently wrote on Wired Hunt 
called, or I'm not sure what it was called, to tell you the truth, but it was something along the lines of, you know, what should you do if you're not getting pictures of shooter bucks on your property this summer? So what if you're in a situation where you've got your cameras out and you're not getting the deer you want on camera? I had a couple ideas of what you could do, and you know, I'll, I'll throw out my ideas, and maybe you've got some different ideas too. But you know, my first idea was, you know, be careful about, you know, how you are, you know, accessing and acting around those trail cameras. So to the point I made earlier, you have to be super careful about when you go, how you go, how you smell, where the wind is, all these different things. Because if you're not being careful about it, that, might explain why you're not getting pictures of the deer you want to see on your cameras. Um, Number two, you know, those deer might just not be where you have your cameras. So in some cases I've found, and you've probably seen the same thing, you might have a camera on the corner of a field and you'll get four bucks maybe on that camera consistently. You might have another camera that's just 100 yards down the field edge or 100 yards into the woods, and you might get three totally different bucks on that camera. Sometimes there's just these kind of invisible lines in a deer's home range where he just doesn't cross. And there's going to be certain areas that he likes to spend time and certain areas he doesn't. And if you have your camera in one of those spots where he just so happens not to want to be in, even though he might be on your property or very nearby, you might never know he's there. So at least you know, in my opinion, if you're in a situation where you're not getting pictures of the kind of deer you want to get, it's worth relocating those cameras a little bit around and just see if you can't pick something else up that might be in the area but just for whatever reason isn't hitting that specific spot. Um, so that's an idea. And then there's also the fact that they just might not be in your area at all. You just might be on a property right now where the quality deer you want to hunt are not present. So there's two things now that tie into this. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in, ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. First off, you can start looking for new locations because you just might be in an area where they're not and they're not going to be. So if you're in that situation, you might want to start looking for different options. But number two, and an important one, is you might want to wait until September. Because to you know, your point and my point a little while ago when I started this whole story was that you know once that first week of September hits and bucks start losing the velvet on their antlers, the testosterone is starting to ramp up and they're going to start dispersing from their summer ranges and moving to those locations that they're going to spend the most time during the fall. From what I've seen and from what I've heard and from what you know, research I've read has shown, uh, somewhere around a third to 50% of bucks typically are going to relocate from their summer range. So 
There's a good chance that some of the deer you're watching right now will be gone once hunting season hits. But there's also a good chance that some bucks that you haven't seen during the summer will come from somewhere else and move to your spot. So, at least in my opinion, I think it's worth waiting till that first couple weeks of September to really confirm what's here now and what am I really going to be hunting because things can change um, from the summer. So I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on any of that? No, man. You're you're pretty much dead nuts as far as what uh, as far as what I witness. I mean. There are specific bucks that uh, call the areas that I hunt home uh, all year round. And then there are those uh, migrators that I'll have pictures of them. And one, one buck in particular, I'll have pictures of him all summer long. And then I will have pictures of him again in the late season or find his sheds back on the property. So they, he moves out during the entire hunting season. And then he'll come back in. That's just one buck in particular. But yeah, man, they move, and it's and they're they're it's all about where they feel comfortable. And some of these places will probably would probably surprise you if you. What I would love to do sometime is target a deer, or you know, th- throw a tracking device on him, and just watch, you know, watch where he goes back and forth on a on a map. He every you know every time he walks to a different area, it leaves a line. It shows everywhere he's been and his patterns and stuff. That would be awesome, but that doesn't happen. So <laughs> that's why we try to you know throw those uh, trail cameras out there and uh, and get those uh, try to get as many pictures of them as we can. But you know a trail camera can only cover uh, you know fifty feet area. Yeah, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that too, because actually, while I was down there at the uh, Cutie May National Convention, one of the one of the seminars I went to was about buck movements and specifically what they call excursions. And this took a look at, I think it was, well, I think it was six different studies, research studies, um, done in the past four years, where they actually did what you just said. They put a radio collar or GPS tracking collar on deer, bucks, and in one case, uh, does as well, and they tracked where these deer went for months at a time, all day, every day, and um, they found some really interesting information, but what these, um, what this seminar was about was the idea of these excursions, and the fact that um, what's been found is that the majority of deer will take at least one, in many cases, a few more excursions well outside of their home range, and uh, their home range is the area, and I'm I might get these numbers wrong because um, there's some varying definitions of this, but I believe the technical definition in most cases of a deer or buck home range is the area where they spend something like 90% of their time. That, let's say, little circle around his main area is his home range. 90, 90% of the time he's there. Then there's the core area, which is something like the area he spends 50% of his time, and that's a much smaller area. Um, if I remember correctly, Typically, that core, uh, that core range is something like eh, it varies, but somewhere in the you know hundred acres to three hundred acres or somewhere around there, it's a smaller region. And then the home range can be you know a mile plus kind of circle. Yeah. And what they found though is, like I mentioned, these radio collar studies and GPS tracking studies have shown that these bucks often are taking completely seemingly random excursions, you know, one to, you know, seven miles away from their home range a couple times a year. Um, very interesting. They had some studies done in the spring showing that these studies are happening in the spring and summer, and they're also happening in the fall, which is kind of counterintuitive because I would have assumed that, sure, I know these bucks are probably going outside of their, their main areas during the rut, during the fall, chasing does and stuff, but Interestingly, they're also happening outside of the rut. So there wasn't necessarily any concrete conclusions as to what they were doing. There's different hypotheses about maybe they're looking for mineral sources or different food sources. Uh, and then during the fall, they did find or they believe that a lot of those excursions, those travels and, and roaming behaviors were associated with the rut and finding does and whatnot. Uh, but I guess it's a really long way of saying there's some really interesting stuff going on, like you said, that I would love to know more about. But we're just barely starting to, to touch the surface of, of why and what these deer are doing. It's fascinating. Yeah. What's crazy is in Iowa where I hunt, other than the occasional coyote attack, and I don't think in the area that I hunt, a uh, coyote is going to take down a full-grown buck. All right? 
So imagine a deer that does not get hunted. Let's say there's no hunting, okay? They don't really have any predators they need to worry about. So my opinion is I believe these deer just get bored. And they do the same thing every day for a while. And then they're just like, all right, well, I've been sitting on my butt way too long. I don't know what to do. Let's go this way and check out. You know, <laughs> I think there's a curiosity standpoint that, uh, and not just and not just deer have, but all animals. Yeah. You know, they they there's randomness, just like humans. You know, even my dad, he's he is he does the same thing every day. And I when I I mean every day, I mean Saturday and Sunday. He'll wake <laughs> up, he'll go to work, he'll come home for lunch, he'll take a nap. He'll go back to work. He'll uh, come home from work. He'll take a nap. Then he goes to bed. And for the most part, he does that every other day. And then one day, my dad calls me up and goes, hey, what are you doing? I go, I'm just watching the World Series. He goes, I'm in the front row at the World Series. So, <laughs> yeah, And I, I believe bucks do that same thing. Not comparing my dad to a, a, a buck, but, <laughs> you know, uh, they, they, they get bored. And they want to explore and they want to find out what else is in the area, you know, maybe even, you know, checking those areas that have community scrapes, laying their scent down, uh, letting other bucks know that, hey, I am here. Uh, don't get it twisted. Yeah. No, I think there's probably a lot of truth to that. I think your uh, your World Series theory makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Uh, that said, then. Moving on maybe to the next general topic, which which ties into a lot of things we ever talked about. But one of the other main ways that I'm scouting, uh, which you said you're not doing as much of, but I'm doing a lot of, is glassing fields, doing some long-distance scouting. Um, so, you know, for me, this comes in the form of, of two different things. Either I am driving around the roads around my different hunting properties in the surrounding couple miles, and I'm actually, I've got a binoculars i've got a spotting scope maybe i've got my video camera and i'm driving around trying to spot some mature deer in the different crop fields um, you know in the evening hours that's number one and then number two i'm also occasionally going to be going into a few of my different areas where i can access and see a long ways and actually try to view some deer within the interior of some of the properties um, and again, I've got the same goals. I want to see if the kind of deer I want to hunt are here. I want to try to understand who specifically might be here. And then when it comes to this kind of information where I'm actually watching deer from a distance and I can watch, you know, where they came out of the woods and where they fed to and where they exited, you know, now I can start to garner some information that I might, I might be able to apply during the hunting season. Um, and, you know, this isn't just me either. There's a lot of people that, that use this information and apply it very heavily to their hunting strategy. Yeah. I'm specifically thinking of, of one example that I recently wrote about, um, a guy named Adam Hayes. He's been on a, a handful of TV shows and written some articles, and he's you know, relatively well-known um, in the deer hunting world, uh, most notably because he has killed three 200-inch bucks. And he has killed all three of those bucks using a very similar strategy. And I wrote about this strategy, and I'll share this a little bit here, uh, because it basically revolves around this tactic of summer scouting from a long distance. So what he does is he doesn't have just one property that he hunts over and over every year. He's changing where he hunts almost every year. And he's basing that on where he finds the buck he wants to hunt. So he'll drive around a general area during the summer, looking, you know, back in these deep, you know, secluded bean fields or alfalfa fields or whatever it might be. He's scouting really hardcore in the summer, trying to identify that special buck that he wants to hunt. So in these cases, he identified these giants. Once he identified where the general area where they were, and he saw, okay, they're feeding in this field and they're feeding in this field and occasionally in this field. Once he got an idea of where those deer were, then he was doing anything he could to get permission to hunt those areas or properties in the general area. So let's say he's now identified the general area and he got permission on one of the properties nearby. You know, now he's taking that long distance scouting to the next level and he's going deeper into these properties if he can, making sure that he's far enough away to not make too much of an impact and not put too much pressure on these deer, but, but close enough 
to watch these deer, watch that specific buck. And he's then doing just what I talked about. He's trying to identify where are they coming out of the woods from, or where does he think they're bedding based on, you know, where they're exiting or entering the woods. How are they feeding? What, uh, what moon phase is it that they're moving the earliest? What wind direction is it that this deer is using this trail? And he's getting very specific about all that information and, and taking note of all of that. Now, once, you know, like we talked about, once September hits, some of these deer move on, some of them don't. Uh, but in the cases, in, in three such cases, um, these deer stuck around that general area. And, you know, you could either apply that information that he learned in the summer to an early season hunt, especially if you hunt, you know, in a state where the season opens early, like Kentucky opens in early September, uh, you know, Ohio opens in late September, uh, the Dakotas open early. Excuse me, there's a number of different spots where you know, those patterns and those behaviors in August are going to be the exact same patterns that those deer are following when your season opens. Uh, so in those cases, I mean, this information is crucial and can be huge to really, you know, putting a great hunt down and getting one of those deer. Yeah, for me, my season, you know, and you too, our seasons in Iowa and Michigan, they don't open till October. So in many cases, the deer have moved off that summer feeding pattern, but to a degree, they might still stick to some of those behaviors the first couple days or week of the season. So it's still information that at least I personally think is valuable and I think is worth having in your back pocket. Um, and then, you know, Hayes, he again has that information. And in the different things I've read from him, he's talked about the fact that that early season, again, is, is a great time. But he also can still use that summer information that he garnered. He can still use that at the end of October. And that's when he was really killing the most of these deer because what he's understood with that scouting that he did in the summer, he's identified, you know, a couple of the locations where those bucks are bedding often. So of course it's going to change a little bit, but if they're sticking around the general area, that summer bedding area may still in fact be the same as what they're using in the fall. And then again, he also knows again, like I said, you know, what types of wind directions are they moving uh, or are they moving on or what types of, you know, how's the moon phase affecting them, whatever it might be. He's using that the last 10 days of October when those bucks are still sticking to a relatively, you know, homebody type pattern, but they're just getting edgy enough. They're just getting ramped up enough that they might move a little earlier or they might make a mistake. And that is when he's killed all three of those 200 inch bucks was in the last 10 days of October, utilizing these strategies to, to really get to know a specific deer that he picked out in the summer, nail him down, and then kill him right before the rut. So, I don't know, I thought that was pretty interesting stuff that he's been able to put into action. And, and you know, it you know wouldn't necessarily work for everyone. It's, you know, you have to have a certain set of circumstances to make that work. Uh, but I thought that was pretty interesting. And so, and I'm kind of rambling here, but I'm basically doing some similar type scouting. I'm, I'm trying to understand it and just get as much information as I possibly can because there is no harm in knowing a lot of stuff about the deer that you're hunting and the deer in your area because when you add all those little pieces of data together, if you can start looking at those little pieces as a big whole picture, you can all of a sudden make you know some pretty smart decisions when once hunting season gets here. So right. when it comes to long-distance scouting, that's that's what I'm thinking about. That's what I'm looking for. Um, I don't know. Does that make any sense or do I sound off the rocker? No, you, I mean, it's perfect sense. Uh, I mean, and, and when I, when I am in the area, you know, and I, I do get a chance to spend the night, you know, those, those, uh, I'm, I'm driving the back roads, I'm glassing the area and not just my properties, um, all the surrounding properties as well. And, uh, you know, seeing what I can see, but, uh, you know, in Iowa, spotlighting is legal and i do a lot of that um i guess i did when i lived closer to my hunting uh, spots not so much anymore but um you'll be surprised what you see once the sun goes down and it gets dark out they start popping into these bean fields and these alfalfa fields and you can get them uh you know throw a light on them from the road and it doesn't you know it's not like you're trying to film a documentary while you're doing that all you got to do is shooter no shooter or who is that? Do I know that buck? And then move on. Um, you know, some landowners get a little, you know, a little edgy with that uh, if you're spotlighting on their property. But it is legal in Iowa, and it is a it is a tool that can can really help you um, identify an area whether it's good or not. Because you know, this time of year, deer are nocturnal. Yeah, I think that's a great point. 
Um, and like you said, it, it's legal in a lot of areas. Um, you know, would just recommend to anyone thinking about it, just make sure you check your regulations and you, know, you don't want to get in trouble for something you're not supposed to be doing like that. But, you know, for instance, here in Michigan, uh, if I, you know, last I read the regulations during the off season, it's legal up until like 11 o'clock at night. So just check it out. There might be some type of stipulation like that in your state. But like you said, it's a great way to get a better idea of the deer in the area because they're going to be much more visible at night. And then this is actually something that uh, Dan Infault, you know, our guest on episode number three, I think, he does this a lot. He's actually taking the information he gets from those spotlighting sessions and applying that to his hunting as well. Because mm-hmm. he's, he's saying, okay, this deer is feeding in this field on this night with this moon phase, this wind, et cetera, this temperature. And then he, because he knows a lot of these areas very well, or he can learn these areas, he's then thinking to himself, okay, if he's feeding here right now, an hour after dark, what's the most likely best possible bedding area that he could have came from? And so now he's starting to understand at least a best guess of, okay, these conditions led to him bedding here, led to him moving to feed to this direction or in this direction or in this location. And he's using all that as a piece of the puzzle that he can, um, that he can act on later. Right. So, I mean, it all comes down to uh, information. Uh, you know, it's, it's really is a science because the more information you have, the better uh, decision you can make on where to hunt, how to hunt, uh, what you need to do. Yep. So true. Um, so a few specific tips I thought I'd throw out here um, when it comes to, you know, long distance scouting. Um, I'm, Doing, like I said, I'm doing a lot of this right now. Actually, right after we get off get off this podcast recording, I'm going to eat a quick bite, do the dishes, and then I'm going to head out with a buddy and do some driving around tonight. And we're, we're undecided on if we're going to stick around here in Michigan or head down to Indiana and scout some of those areas. But a few things to think about. Um, you know, of course, it's, I think, easy to figure that the last, you know, 20, 30 minutes – of daylight are going to be the the best for spotting some of those deer. So, you know, I always like to kind of time my drives. If I'm doing the roadside thing where I'm driving, I like to try to time, you know, to do at least maybe two drive-bys of my best spots. And hopefully that last drive-by is going to be just before dark. Um, you know, another thing I would recommend that's kind of worked for me is if you're driving down you know, one of these back roads and you spot a good deer, don't slam on your brakes right then and there. And try to you know get a good look at them. In my case, I'm trying to film these deer too, so I can look back at it and you know get a better idea of what these deer are. So if I slam on my brakes lots of times right away, stop right then and there, the deer sees your truck, takes off running. But if your truck just continues or your car just keeps on going by, you know, that deer is seeing a lot of cars drive by. And as long as that car keeps going, in most cases, he'll be okay. He, that's what he's used to. So what I try to do now is I'll try to, if I see a deer, I'll just keep on driving, get past wherever he can see, and then I'll, you know, get far enough away, turn around, come back, and then just creep right up to the very edge of where I can see him. And in most cases, I can get away with creeping up just enough to see past that corner of the fence or whatever it might be that I can watch him for a little bit before he actually notices me and takes off. So that's the thought. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. 
O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. Yeah, that's, uh, that's typically what I do as well. And one thing I want to throw out here, only real quick while it's in, on my mind and I don't see it there, is if you become, if you find a buck, let's say you're, you're glassing, you find a, a, a decent buck, and then you start going there over and over and over again, and people see you parked there, and they see your activity, they're going to know that, hey, there might be a big buck there as well, that rumor spreads, so my suggestion would be find it, leave it alone. Don't make a pattern out of going there night after night or once, you know, once, twice, three times a week, you know, leave it alone, find the deer, then worry about gaining access to that property. Because if you can't hunt that property, don't, you're wasting your time. So that's just a, a quick tip on my end. Yeah, no, that's a, a good point. It's hard though, you know, if I, yeah, <laughs> you see yeah. a good deer, you really want to go see him again. And I've struggled with this too. And I'm actually kind of living this right now because there's a good deer in, in a general area around one of the properties I hunt that I got a good look at him earlier in June. And then I've gone by a handful of times. I want to get, I, I still just haven't got a really, really good look at him to see what he's become now. I badly want to get that footage just so I can really study it and try to figure out if I know this deer or what this deer is going to be. Um, but I'm probably, I might be getting to the point where I'm pushing it too far because I keep on checking it out. And you know, like you said, people will pick up on that. So it's you're, a real, your neighbor's a hunter, right? I got a bunch of hunters around me yeah, from around so, this general area. I mean, you live in Michigan, so yeah, everybody's a hunter, but they, uh, yeah, they'll, they'll notice and, uh, stay away, stay away. Yeah. Yeah. Great, uh, great advice right there. Uh, another good piece of advice I would offer is if you're looking for deer and you want them to stick around while you're, you know, taking a look at them from the road, don't drive a big black Ram truck with a Hemi. Cause that's what I'm driving right now. And for whatever reason, I've never had issues, but I can't hardly drive by a deer right now without it running away. I, I just got the new truck recently and I'm spooking deer like crazy. So <laughs> I don't know. Should have picked I do. a vehicle. I do all my scouting around here on that public ground that I'm going to look into hunting this year. Uh, And I do my scouting in a Honda Civic. So it's, uh, it can go just about anywhere. That's uh, that may be what I, what I should be rolling on because. (laughs) And people don't look at, Oh, they're Honda Civic. Yeah. He's not a hunter or that that person's not a hunter. They're, they're, they're just lost. Yeah. Very true, especially up by you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that brings up a whole another topic too, um, which I don't want to dive too far into. But the idea of you know what you're driving and you know what you have plastered all over your vehicle can oh, really yeah. can really display your intentions. And in some cases, unfortunately, you know we need to be worried about other people. You know, like you said, taking note of hey, there's a guy that's coming here all the time. He's obviously a big hunter because he has 72 deer hunting stickers and decals on his truck. Yeah, and that might attract some attention you don't want. So. I haven't put I haven't put any new stickers or anything on my new truck because uh, I want to keep a little bit lower profile. I think, dude, that is the best best in my opinion only way. When I tell when I ask permission to uh, unless for a you know for a farm to hunt unless they want me to park in a specific spot so they know that I'm there, I tell them you won't even know I'm on your property because that's the whole point. I don't want another person to know I'm hunting there. And I, the only, the only person I do want to know is the farmer 
or the landowner and um, you get permission and then you say, well, you're a good chance you probably don't even see me because I have no problem walking two miles, you know, parking my truck behind some trees or some big bales of hay and uh, getting it out of the way and walking that extra, you know, 500 yards to uh, get to your tree stand to, you know, leave no trail. Yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate that we have to worry about that, but you really do because yeah. people will take advantage of that, or they might um, you know try to mess up what you're doing. Um, and it's it's just a reality of the situation we live in these days. So, yep. let me share a, a quick story, real quick, mm-hmm. um, on spotlighting. We uh, were out spotlighting an area, and I had permission on a neighboring farm to hunt. So this 180 inch uh, ten pointer, no junk perfect, awesome deer was visiting this alpha alpha field every night. So we started, uh, we started spotlighting this area and, uh, we started spotlighting it every night or not every night, but almost every night he'd come out, we'd spotlight him, we'd move on, come out, spotlight and move on. One day, uh, we got there and there was uh, a big old truck, old truck there. And, uh, the farmer, was like, hey, have you guys seen that big old deer? I say, yeah, I've seen it. Uh, and, you know, I tried to play dumb for a while. And he say, I don't, right. I don't know what you're talking about. And then he goes, well, I've seen your truck stop here a couple times. Uh, I know you hunt over at the other other piece. Um, I think I'm gonna try to kill him this year. First time this dude ever goes bow hunting, he kills this buck oh, early geez. season, and it was because of the fact that me and another guy we're spotlighting this field so much and he saw it he ended up paying attention and he saw this and he's like well i've never i own the property i if i there's big deer on it maybe i should hunt he goes out he gets a bow he practiced probably three times and he goes out and he shoots this this 180 inch 10 pointer it was giant wow (laughs) that's how it goes right Right. And, you know, we're supposed to be advocates for the sport and, you know, be happy that people, new people are joining. But that was one of those uh, instances where I was just like, <laughs> congratulations, as I had my fingers crossed behind my back. You right. know? <laughs> I got a buddy who always likes to say, you know, I'm 98 percent happy for you, but there's a very strong two percent where I'm like, <laughs> dang it, I wish that was me. <laughs> yep, that's the truth. But uh, that's a good lesson to to share with everyone. And it's something yeah. that. I think is it's easy to fall into the temptation of, of watching these deer, or seeing these deer often is uh, it's tough to tough to avoid. Yeah, for, for sure. So, so one uh, one final area I wanted to talk about when it comes to summer scouting was actual on the ground getting in there and doing some some actual scouting in person before the season starts. And I know you talked a little bit about the, about the fact that you're going in there and, and doing some different preparation, setting stands or putting cameras out and that you're, you know, doing some scouting along the way. Um, and I think, you know, that that's something that I do as well, but I also occasionally in the certain circumstances, I try to do some specific scouting and I, I kind of took this tactic from John and Chris Eberhardt, um, who are a couple of Michigan hunters that I've learned a lot from have written a handful of books that I highly recommend. And what they do is they call this speed scouting. And, you know, they're very, very particular about being very low pressure and not going into areas unless they absolutely have to. But they will try to get maybe one quick scouting trip into a few of their key early season spots to confirm some details and to learn a little bit of information. And I think some of their ideas can be applied to a lot of different people in in hunting situations. Basically, they're going to go in and, and do a quick run by or walk by of some of their top spots or or key areas to get a picture of what the situation is. And they're looking for, you know, how are the food sources doing that I think are going to be in this area? So are the white oaks producing acorns? Check. Um, Is the old apple tree in the corner producing apples? Check. Uh, You know, is there persimmon tree down in the corner by the creek? Check. You know, you want to confirm those things because if you don't know that, it's going to affect how you hunt. But if you do know it, you can make sure you are hunting the right spot at the right time because you know that that food source is producing or it's not producing. Um, it's also worth checking out water sources. You know, is that small pond dried up or is it full up water and being hit? Um, 
it's also a good thing to check, especially if you're if you're in that very late August or very early September time frame when those bucks are starting to relocate, they're starting to rub off their velvet. You can find some early rubs sometimes, and that can key you in on you know different buck activity too. So that's something worth looking at. Um, and then also you need to be, unfortunately, in some cases, you need to be concerned about sign from other hunters. So especially if you're on public land, you know, when it comes to late summer, lots of other guys are going in the woods and setting up the tree stands, trimming lanes, doing all those things. And if that happens near you or, you know, on a property that you're hunting, that's going to impact the deer once the season starts, in many cases at least. So, you, you know, if you can get that information now, you can then apply that to your hunting season and make sure you're not learning that on October 1st and then having you having a ruined hunt because of it. So... You know, that's what I'm looking for when I do kind of a speed scouting session. It's usually going to be, you know, if I'm doing that, and I don't do it in all situations, um, but I might do it in late August, early September, a quick trip, middle of the day. Um, I'm going to make sure that I'm being super, you know, conscientious about my scent control. I'm going to make sure I'm not, you know, busting through deep bedding areas or anything like that. I'm still going to be careful about where I walk. And, you know, the perfect situation is a, like a rainy day. Windy, so they're not going to hear you. A light rain, so it's going to wash away your scent. If you can find a day like that, that's just a really, really good opportunity to get in there, get some quick scouting in, and you're, you're probably not going to make too big of an impact. So for me, that's what my kind of speed scouting or last minute summer scouting sessions look like. Um, of course, you know, doing different stuff throughout the earlier summer months, but, but that's kind of what I'm thinking about this time of year. I don't know. Do you do anything like that or is that yeah, sound- t- typically, um, let's see, th- three weeks ago, uh, myself and Ryan, my buddy, Ryan, we went, uh, down to my hunting properties and because he drew an Iowa tag, he came down and helped me set up trail cam or uh, trail cameras and uh, a tree stands this year. So typically what we do is we'll go in, we'll do some scouting and whatnot. But once we throw a tree stand in the area, we're not going back there until it's time to hunt it. So, um, you know, you know, I rely like, like we both do on, on trail cameras and uh, any scouting that I do is going to be done when I'm out there checking my trail cameras, you know, it, every, every motion I make has to be as efficient as possible because I don't want to have to go in there more times than are necessary. And, um, you know, give, you know, have the potential of jumping a deer more than one time, you know, once or once or twice an entire summer is, is pretty good. Um, anything more than that, you know, unfortunately we don't have to leave a Koski property, like you mentioned, where he can, uh, condition his deer to not be afraid of them. But, um, but you know, guys like us and majority of the hunters out there ha- have to do that. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it's funny. I, you know, I don't, I don't try to spend, you know, if it's a new property, yes, I'm out there a little bit more trying to find out, uh, as much information, but for the properties that I hunt and where I'll, where I will focus on, especially this year, um, I know, I already know from previous years experience, you know, not saying that that will change, but I know from previous years experience that, uh, um, I know where they're going to be moving. I know, um, you know, basically just honing my, uh, what I saw from the previous years to, uh, make that approach towards the, the actual season. Yeah, absolutely. I think, like you said, if you know a spot and if you don't absolutely need to go in there to confirm something, don't go in there just to say you went scouting or just because you feel the need to get in the woods and walk around. I think a lot of people do. I think yeah. it's natural. A lot of people want to, um, you know, if they weren't worried about, you know, this kind of thing, they would just say, ah, walk through the woods, see if I see any sign just before the season. But that can be one of the, you know, absolute worst things you can do. Right. So I think, you know, I'd only do this kind of in-person scouting in the summer if it was necessary to confirm something um, or if you're just learning that property. And then if I'm going to do it, I'm going to be really careful about it. And that timing is going to be pretty important, making sure I'm going there at the right time. So otherwise, like you said, you should hopefully, you know, already know this from past seasons or, you know, really the best time to be doing this kind of the the best kind of scouting is done postseason or in the spring when you can see, you know, everything on the ground without all the, all the new green up and everything. So, you know, hopefully everyone out there did a bunch of scouting this winter and early spring and you guys are ready to go. But I know that 
I don't always get all that done either. So sometimes you got to do some last minute work. And, uh, and this, these are some ideas to keep in mind if you do. Right. For sure. So what do you think, Dan, do you, uh, do you have any other thoughts on summer scouting that you want to make sure we touch on here today? Well, no, really. I think we actually covered a lot of it. I just want to know, um, have you checked your trail cameras recently and do you have any uh, potential this year so far? Well, I checked my cameras just over a week ago in Michigan and less than stellar results. Uh, Probably just one buck that really for sure would be a shooter this year. Uh, He looks like a a nice, a nice Michigan eight pointer, nothing that you'd look at twice in Iowa, but um, a good deer. And then a couple other possibilities um, that either are nice two-year-olds or might be, you know, kind of average to low to average three-and-a-half-year-olds that, I don't know, This these pictures were from, you know, early July. So yeah. I don't I don't know exactly what they're going to turn to 100%. So there's two that the, the jury's still out. Um, I still have not gotten back down to Ohio. I set a camera down there back in May while I was turkey hunting. Um, just cause I wasn't sure when I get there. So I figured I'll put it up and I'll get some super early growth. And I was hoping I'd come back in June a month. I thought I'd come back once a month and change that camera out, but somehow we're here. It's pretty much August and I still haven't got back down there. So I bet you're thinking about it though, aren't you? I am thinking about it <laughs> a lot because there's a couple bucks down there that I think, and I really, really hope made it through the season and they'll just be jumbo this year. So I'm hoping that's the case. And then the, the one other thing here in Michigan I know a lot of the listeners have heard me talk about the buck I call Leaner, and I know you've you've heard me talk about him. I still don't have trail camera pictures of him, but last night, and this ties in perfectly with summer scouting stuff, while doing one of my drive-around sessions where I'm driving a couple miles around these hunting properties, I might have spotted Leaner. Oh, boy. I don't know for sure. I I'd say maybe it's... He's got the right frame. He's got the right. frame and the brow tine, the spacing between the brow tines and the frame. It's 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 basically if you took Leaner's frame from last year and pushed it out two more inches wider and gave him a little more height, it's him. Um, but it How was far from your farm? 0.7 mile or 0.75 miles from the edge of the closest property I could hunt. Um, so that's not that's not far. No, it's not. It's uh. You know, less than a mile away. He, I don't know. I don't want to get too excited yet. Like I said, I just saw him last night for like 15 seconds. I got like 15 seconds of video footage of him. He's like 400 yards away, just staring in my general direction. I didn't even get a side view of him. He was literally just staring in my direction. And then I had to, I had an issue with my camera, was messing around with the camera, and I looked back up and he was gone. Um, So I don't know a whole lot. But there's a little, small, tiny bit of hope that maybe he's back. So we'll see. More to come on that soon. I might be driving around tonight, like I said, around here. Uh, I don't know. But I'll definitely keep uh, keep posted, keep everyone uh, in the know. And if uh, if the leaner story has a, a year number three, things will get very interesting. Good deal. That's awesome. Cool, man. Well, I think that's a great place for us to wrap it up then. So, you know, to everyone out there listening, Huge thank you. We appreciate your time. We hope you're enjoying the show. Uh, as I keep on going to different events, um, whether it was the QDMA convention last week um, or just some different local things here in Michigan, I'm hearing from a lot of you guys that have been listening to the show. It sounds like you're enjoying it, and we really appreciate it. But you know, just as much, we appreciate the feedback. You know, let us know what you want to see more of. Let us know who you want us to talk to. Let us know. You know, maybe you don't want me and Dan talking about the dumb things that we talk about. So tell us that because I want to make sure that this show is what you want. You, the whitetail addicts out there, like me and Dan, you know, this show's for you. So we appreciate that feedback. And of course, if you leave a rating or a review on iTunes, that means a ton too. Thank you so much for that. It's it's quick to do and it really helps and it, it's helping right now. It's getting the word out. People are finding out about the Wired Hunt podcast and I think that's a good thing. And speaking of thanks, you know, as we always do, I want to take a quick second here to thank our partners who you're making this show possible. They're keeping the lights on. So big thank you to Sitka Gear, Bushnell Optics, Trophy Ridge, Bear Archery, Redneck Blinds, Carbon Express Arrows, Lacrosse Boots, Big and J Long Range Attractants, and the Whitetail Institute of North America. If you want to get more information about this episode or some of the different topics which we talked about, go to wiredtohunt.com episode 17. 
I'll include some links to a couple of the articles I talked about, like the Adam Hayes article um, or the, you know, what should you do if there's no big bucks on trial camera? I'll make sure to link those so you can check it out if you want more details. And if you haven't already, make sure you're signed up for our newsletter. Um, we're going to be sending out more updates as the season gets closer. We're going to be filling you guys in on how our seasons are going, you know, what the most popular articles are on Wired Hunt right now, and other good stuff that you'll find interesting. So check that out. And of course, thank you again, Wired Hunt Nation. The podcast is for you, and we appreciate you. So until next time, have a great week. Get out there scouting. And as always, stay Wired to Hunt. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.